Hi, everyone. It's your podcast host, Jim Andrews, here with a reminder that the Ticket Manager Partner Summit is back. We'll be getting together in person on October 17th this year at the Times Center in New York City. This is a free, invitation-only event where hundreds of business leaders across the world's most influential brands in sports, sponsorship, live events, and ticketing gather to make great connections and share valuable information. Approved attendees enjoy exclusive networking events, insightful panels, and exciting celebrity speakers, all for free. Are you interested in attending? Just go to ticketmanager.com for details on how to apply. Welcome to Ticket Manager's All Access Interview Series, engaging leaders from across the sports marketing and entertainment spectrum to identify and explore critical issues in the business of sports, entertainment, sponsorship, activation, ticketing, hospitality, and even more. I'm your host, Jim Andrews. Joining me on this episode to discuss what's next for his organization is Ed Horn, president of 160 Over 90, the cultural marketing agency within Endeavor. Welcome, Ed. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Thanks, Jim. Good to see you. I'd like to start by just discussing kind of the current landscape for for agencies like yours that have strong practices in in sponsorships and and partnerships. Because on the one hand, the market is a multi-billion dollar one. It's growing, which is good news for all of us. But on the other, it's a relatively concentrated marketplace in terms of the players. So it's a very competitive environment. And within that, obviously, 160 over 90 has, has carved out a, a pretty unique identity as a creative agency. So could you start us off and just talk a little bit more about how, how you position yourselves? Sure. Yeah. And, and by the way, you're, you're completely correct in that it's a crowded marketplace. And, and I think so much of uh, what we all do can be viewed as a commodity offering. You know, so somebody will do it cheaper. Somebody's got a relationship that's valuable to them and they don't want to make a change. Um, and we're totally cognizant of that. So we talk about ourselves, as you said, as a cultural marketing agency, and, and it's very purposeful. And, and the reason for that is we very much believe that, you know, sport is part of what is very much a consumer passion. So culture, while sport is a part of it, sport and film and fashion and music and art and culinary and all of those things that people care about are really implicit to how brands uh, are able to attract and retain audience and you know therefore customers or consumers or whoever their you know their end user might be so that's the position that we've taken so we think there's really two key points of difference that 160 over 90 has one is that we've got all of the resources you described us as creative agency you know creative is a big part of what we do but we also have PR and experiential. We have social and digital, certainly the partnership and sponsorship space. So we've got what we describe sometimes as holding company-like assets uh, or resources, but, but, but not with the structure that a traditional holding company would have. It's all one P&L. It's all unlocked. And that gives us the ability to be able to really leverage for our clients' benefits the services they need at any particular point in time so we can scale up or scale back and just be more flexible. The other real key point of difference, and I would say maybe the biggest point of difference, is the fact that we're part of the world of Endeavor. So while we can operate completely objectively and agnostically for our clients' benefit, so many of the problems that they look to have solved 
we, we sort of have the unique luxury and benefit of having in-house. So whether it's talent we represent or properties that we own or operate or content creators that we work with, we've got the ability to you know, bring our clients way upstream or earlier in development, whatever sort of language you want to use. That really gives us, I think, that point of difference that, that you were suggesting. I'd like to go a little bit deeper there and just having been part of the holding company environment myself uh, years ago, I know exactly what you're, what you're talking about there. And, you know, what, what you're talking about with, with what you're describing, you know, make, makes a lot of sense on paper for sure. But can you give us some kind of tangible examples of how that really has worked with, uh, with some of your clients? I, I like to think they hire us because they think we're smart and strategic and creative and we activate really well. But, but I believe increasingly part of the reason why they hire us is because of that ability to look around corners, see what's next, you know, and be able to put ourselves in a position that we can truly have an impact on their business. Anybody can pitch a great idea. You know, anybody can walk in a room and, you know, and pitch an idea. And sometimes the most difficult scenario is when the client says, that's great. Yes, go do it. You know, most organizations walk out of the room and go, oh, God, what do I do now? You know? <laughs> Who represents the talent? Who's got the relationship with the studio or the network? Who knows the person at the property? We've got the ability, and it's what we do for our clients every day, to be able to really go into a room and be able to present ideas that, you know, on most days when we're good, we know that we can deliver on those ideas. And and I think that is increasingly why our presence in the marketplace has been growing, why our client roster uh, not only is growing in terms of size of clients, but the depth and breadth of the services and offerings that we're providing to some of those clients that I mentioned. Are there a couple of examples of, of recent work that you're particularly proud of that, that you'd kind of hold up uh, as examples of good stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll give you an example of AB InBev, who's a big client of ours, now has a, a deep and meaningful relationship uh, with Serena Williams, who's a client of the world of Endeavor of WME. Our ability to be able to marry a need that AB InBev had with an opportunity or an interest that a client like Serena Williams had, put everybody together in a way that was strategically correct. You know, it wasn't trying to force one opportunity on on either the brand or on on the talent client, but it was instead, you know, allowing us to uh, to bring those pieces together uh, in ways that uh, that make sense. Clients that we have, like a Marriott, for example, that increasingly gets involved with opportunities or uh, or properties, events, activations that the world of Endeavor is able to leverage. Uh, we think all of that's important as well. But for us, it, it is about operating completely objectively. So while so much of what we can solve for clients is things that we have in-house, we always operate in a way that is the best for the client. So if, if there is an opportunity that sits outside the, the walls of Endeavor, that's what we're going to do for the client. Because the first time you know we have a client that feels like we're trying to jam something down their throat or you know, act in a conflicted manner, that's when you get fired. So, you know, we are very, very careful to make sure that the things that we recommend are based on good research and analytics and data, and that we leverage the qualitative knowledge and the qualitative involvement that we have across the organization for our clients' benefits. You took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to ask you, you know, a lot of times when we talk about creative, we, we tend to think maybe in, in simple terms that that's kind of the opposite of, of, of data driven. But I know obviously talking to lots of lots of people in the business today, data is so important. So is there kind of a, 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 a synthesis of, of creativity and, and data that has to exist? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's, listen, it's the combination of art and science is how we describe it, right? The quantitative and the qualitative. And, and within 160 over 90 in the world of endeavor, we, we place a high, high value 
on uh, on our research and analytics team. We've actually got about 75 people across the world of Endeavor that are focused day in and day out on analytics and research and measurement. And, and that gives us an incredible advantage in the marketplace. So, uh, you know, our ability to be able to take the quantitative and then marry that with, you know, all the trends that, you know, my colleagues around the world are not just following, but literally creating across music and fashion and sport and culinary and art and all of those other things, you know, literally they are the ones that are creating those trends. So we've got the ability to be able to look at the data, be able to marry that with what's coming next and be able to put opportunities together for clients and bring that together as you described in that, you know, creative. But we we view creative through a very broad lens, which is, you know, not necessarily just what does a 30 second spot look like? And by the way, we do that for a number of our clients, but it's really through this channel agnostic sort of thinking, which is what's the problem? It doesn't matter how we solve it because we've got all the resources that we can bring to bear. So unlike, I think at least, you know, traditionally the ad agency would start with the 30 second spot or the experiential agency would start with, you know, the, the, the onsite activation or the PR agency would start with, you know, what's the earned opportunity. We've got the ability because we have all of that in-house to just solve the problem and then build the program, build the opportunity or the campaign around that, as opposed to, you know, thinking about it through any one particular lens. That's a great lead in to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, because you, you, you're in, in a seat there that deals with all of those different channels and, and, and different elements, you know, you've seen, you know, just all of the, the changes and, and, and new things coming online, whether it's influencer marketing or streaming and, and all the other technology, what would you consider kind of the biggest current challenges for kind of brand partnerships, whether it's in sports, music, or other cultural areas? You know, I would actually say, and it's more sort of on a, on a macro level, which is the notion of purpose, right? Like for brands for so long, we're able to sit on the sidelines and sort of identify which way the wind was blowing and, and tepidly maybe take a position on, you know, societal or cultural issues. Right? Brands no longer have that luxury. And I think one of the biggest challenges that many brands have, big brands, small brands, consumer brands, B2B brands, whatever it might be, of, of really aligning their values in ways that are uh, consistent and, and appropriate with the consumers, which, you know, which they're trying to reach. Because I know in all the research that we do at this point, so many consumers, especially as you think about millennials and Gen Z, are, are, are voting with their wallet. You know, the, they, are, they are looking to ensure that the brands with which they interact and spend money on are aligned with their views and their personal preferences and, you know, how they feel about particular issues. So I think one of the biggest challenges facing brands today is making sure that they are really being purposeful in terms of how they're stepping out into the world and that they're, they're genuine and authentic and real in how they're doing that. And again, that gets back to a little bit of the, the luxury of being part of the world of Endeavor is like we've got just great knowledge and insight, you know, and, and expertise in terms of how brands put themselves into the cultural conversation ways that matter. And, and that really reminds me of something that we've been discussing with lots of people in, in various ways over the, especially in, in recent times. And that is, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. What should brands do? And I know there's no universal answer to this, so it's a little bit of a tough question. But when 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 geopolitics and 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 the you know the events of the world come into play, and when we talk about purpose. 
you've got consumers who want these companies to to take a position and, and stand up for whatever the issue might be. You also have business realities that these are companies that are operating in in countries throughout the world um, and need to be you know, responsible to shareholders. Is there uh, is there something that brands can do to you know again maintain that that purpose and, and make sure that that their consumers feel that they are you know representative of their values and all of that at the same time keeping an eye on on practical business operations. Yeah, so I, I I don't know that the two are mutually exclusive. I, I really do think that you know that notion of 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 doing good and doing well is is real, and and those brands that at the corporate level establish what they stand for, who they are, what are those values, and commit to that, and maintain that position. Those are the businesses that ultimately are are going to win, because you know those that sort of try to react to any particular issue of the day or you know any societal issue that you know that that they haven't thought through prior. Those are really the companies that get themselves uh, in, in trouble. So I, I I don't think that there is a bifurcation of those two. I really do think that brands that that you know know who they are, identify who they are, you know articulate their values and their mission, and then live by that are those that ultimately are uh, are going to win. What do brands really need to do today, and maybe differently than they did in the past? To, to be successful. And, and obviously that, that might be one answer to that, which you've just said about, about yeah. being purposeful and being able to articulate values. But are there are there other things that um, would, would kind of make a brand an, an ideal client, I guess is another way to think about it. Yeah, you, you know, it's actually a great question. We talk about that a lot, which is like, what are the types of clients that we would like to have, you know, in a perfect world, you know, marrying, you know, the, the, the values, the mission, the approach of the brand with the same of, of you know, the agency, the organization. And, and I do think this whole notion of, of cultural connectivity really matters. You know, at, at, at the end of the day, you know, the world that we lived in was create the 30 second spot and they will come. I, I, I think while there is certainly, and, you know, I, I believe this will always be a role for the 30 second spot as part of an effort. I think now it's more about, you know, doing things and showing up in places that are relevant to a, a you know a, a consumer's own beliefs and values and, and passions. So I think now our job is to go find our consumers or our customers where they are, as opposed to expecting or waiting for them to come to us. And 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 I think that also, and, and we think about this a lot from a you know sort of that marriage of art and science as I described, is thinking about consumers and customers as as multi-hyphenates. You know, like we're none of us are one thing. You know. Um, so, you know, in the sports, if we're thinking about this from a sports perspective, you know, people may be sports fans. I'm a sports fan. I've, you know, been in this business or partly in this business for a long time. But sports isn't the only thing that defines me. You know, I, I like to eat. You know, I like music. I, you know, on a good day, like fashion. You know, there's, there's other, other things that, you know, define me. So I think the mistake that we sometimes make is we try to segment audiences and think about them in a sort of monolithic way. As opposed to thinking about you know who we're trying to attract on a on a more I don't know horizontal basis if you will you know sort of cutting across and and it all relates to culture like I you know to in my view the culture is the new creative in a lot of ways you know culture is what drives you know people's interests their passions and ultimately their pocketbooks 
And I guess it's only fair to ask that same question about the the folks on the other side of of the partnerships, and that would be the properties, the the rights holders, teams, leagues, promoters, all all of those folks. And you've got great experience having having worked in, in that business, working for NFL and NHL. What what should they be doing in order to be better partners uh, for brands, quite frankly. I, I, th- I think you just said it, which is partners. Um, you know, we, we um, in this industry sometimes interchangeably use the word sponsor and partner. And, and, and I think it's really a distinction that matters. To me, at least, sponsorship suggests, you know, a transactional relationship. You know, somebody's going to write a check, somebody else is going to deliver them assets or, you know, logos or some, some value in return versus you know, partners, which is how do we marry our businesses together? And, you know, if I'm writing you, you know, Ms. or Mr. Property, a check, how can you truly work with me to be able to showcase my business, my brand, you know, my technology, whatever I have to offer in ways that uh, allow us to show up in, in like genuine and real ways? Because to me, the the sponsor shows up and sometimes the audience says, why are you in my way, you know, you're 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 creating friction in my experience, as opposed to a partner, which makes it better, you know, makes the experience better, creates a reason why, you know, the the viewer, the audience, the consumer wants them to be there and understands why they're there. So I, I think properties need to think about it through that lens. And you know, as a business, we deal, I think, with every property on on the planet almost, uh, maybe exaggerated only slightly. And we actually, as part of Endeavor, own UFC, we own PBR. You know, tennis tournaments, golf tournaments, fashion shows. So I think we've got a balanced perspective on it. And it really is, I think, through that lens of, you know, help me really make my business better. And, and you know, I, I will be your partner for a long time when that is the case. Yeah. It's just, you know, you and I have been in this business for a long time. And, and some of those things are, are truisms. I remember, I don't want to think how many years ago, probably close to 30, listening to Steve Coonan when he was back at Coca-Cola say, we have to stop painting things red and start painting them relevant. You know, that that transition from sponsor uh, who interferes to partner who supports the whole experience, still so important. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I, you know, our, our client AB InBev, I think, is really sort of taking a leadership role in that very approach, right? Which is which is creating and structuring, you know, relationships and arrangements in ways that is certainly adding value to the consumer's existence, right? Again, to that point you've just made about being sort of relevant and culturally connected. And yet structuring agreements where when A B does well, everybody does better. So, right. you know, I, I think that whole notion of um, aligning on KPIs and aligning on what your your shared interests are. I, I think sort of those are the properties that really demonstrate that they're in it for real and not just cashing a check. The last thing I'd like to ask you about is, you know, more on on, on the business side and and uh, certainly what uh, you must be concerned with at 160 over 90. And, and that is kind of what's next, particular where, where do you see growth coming for your organization? Yeah, I think the good news for us is I'm wildly optimistic about uh, about the future and, and where our uh, our business is, is going. Um, and, and to me, it really cuts across a, a variety of things. One is our ability to be that cultural resource for, for more brands, for more clients. The second is expanding the offerings and services that we provide to our clients. You know, with many of our clients, we're very deep and broad on the things that we do. And for others of our clients, you know, we, we may be 
serving you know a, a particular area for them and we increasingly have so much to offer that I'm I'm wildly confident that our ability to do more with even existing clients is a real opportunity and and then the third is just geographic expansion um, you know the world's a big place the world of endeavor you know we've got 7000 people around the world and 30 plus countries and 160 over 90 has the ability to be able to grow with our clients because we have infrastructure in so many places so many countries and territories around the world so when uh, when one of our clients says to us, you know, we we have a priority in uh, you know a particular part of the world, more likely than not, we already have infrastructure there. We have offices, you know, we have chairs, we have computers, so we can very quickly meet the needs of our clients on a global basis. And I think increasingly scale matters. You know, I'd like to think that the way that we operate is very nimble, sort of very flexible with a very um, you know, sort of gritty approach and attitude, and yet at the same time, using the scale and the global reach that we have to be able to meet our clients' needs as well. And I think as long as we can maintain that entrepreneurial spirit and attitude and marry that with you know, global reach, you know, we can be a real uh, resource for, uh, for existing and future clients. And I, you know, I always enjoy talking to people who are smart about this business, have an informed opinion about it, and, and you certainly fit that bill. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time and, and giving us a little bit of a new perspective uh, on the podcast. We haven't had too many agency folks uh, with us and uh, really great to hear how you're looking at things and, and how you're approaching everything. So just want to say thanks again for, for taking the time. Great. Thanks, Jim. So good to be with you and, uh, and really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time. Awesome. Take care. And for all of you out there listening and watching, thank you. And please join us again for the next episode in the All Access interview series.